Hello and welcome to today's episode of Nucleus Investment Insights. On the surface, the Australian market looks cheap relative to the world market. However, there are more factors at play as the Aussie market is dominated by resources and financials. Today, as the title suggests, we're going to reveal some disturbing truths about ASX valuations. Firstly, on the agenda, we'll do a global valuation overview and explain the metrics we use to value markets. Then we'll compare the Australian market to the world. Next, we'll look at individual stocks and sectors. Earning season has recently kicked off in the US, so we'll have a look at what's been reported so far and what's still to come. And then, as always, at the end, we'll discuss the investment implications for markets. My name's Sam Kerr. I'm the Senior Financial Advisor at Nucleus Wealth. Today, as always, I want to welcome the Founder and Chief Investment Officer at Nucleus Wealth, Damien Klassen. Hey, Sam. Thanks for joining us today, Damien. Um, yeah, it's yeah it should be, be a good one. Yeah, it should be a good one. Um, so just a quick reminder before we get started, if you enjoy our content, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and click the bell below to be notified when we go live or have a new episode recorded. Alternatively, you can follow us on your preferred podcast platform and our shows are available on all majors. Uh, one thing I just want to mention before we get started, uh, if you'd like to look at the slides in more detail, uh, we'll post them in the show notes after the after the episode, and you can also view these at nucleuswealth.com forward slash webinars. Uh, so now we've got that little bit of housekeeping out of the way, we'll get started. So uh, Damien, I'll hand it over to you. Yeah, thanks, Sam. Um, so look, there's a couple of charts I, I want to go through. Um, well, there's actually a lot of charts. It's relatively chart heavy, heavy today. Um, I will talk through for anyone just listening in on the podcast. So you know, you don't. Hopefully, you won't. You won't have to download them. But I think there's a lot of um, uh, there's a lot of value in in jumping on there. So so Sam will have the show notes and and obviously the the charts will be shown on YouTube as well for anyone anyone uh, watching this on YouTube. So I'm going to start with the. Uh, the the forward price to earnings ratio background and this is sort of I guess where this is where this whole thing coming from is that um, there's a whole bunch of different valuation metrics that that we use and, and and lots of other people do as well the most common one and the one that sort of has the least um, least idiosyncratic issues is is the forward price to earnings ratio so what it is is it's looking at the next twelve months and it's like a rolling number where um, uh, every day that goes past, say for at the moment, we take a little bit less of 2022 and a little bit more of 2023. And and so um, you sort of get this moving number in terms of the earnings and um, we compare that to the price and uh, and then, so that gives us some valuations in terms of in terms of the market. Then we can look at different stocks on it. And, and there's a whole bunch of other ones. Cash flows is really important for us, um, but you know that that's it can be a little bit problematic comparing between sectors when you look at some of these cash flows. Um, and, and we when we use a lot of our own definitions to to get to those numbers. So um, you know, in, in this presentation, I'm, I'm mainly going to use earnings just because the numbers are a bit more. Um, you, you can point back to what other people are showing as well. Uh, uh, you also look at sort of various measures of, of book value and and you know all these other factors. But um, yeah, for the moment, I'm go I'm going to talk a lot today about the forward price to earnings ratio, not because that's the only one, but just because that's a that's a pretty good indi indicator, and um, it's generally not giving at the moment um, too many different signals to what we're seeing elsewhere. So th so this first chart I'm showing is the 
forward price to earnings ratio of Australia divided by the forward price to earnings ratio of the world. And so you'd expect there that if, if they were always exactly the same, then this line would come out at one. Um, and for anyone sort of listening in, it, it sort of was well below one back in the sort of early 2000s, um, sort of rose up and it sort of, it's oscillated pretty much between 0.95 and, and uh, 1.05 for most of its, um, you know, most of the last 20 years. Uh, the average is about uh, 0.95. And at the moment, we're trading sort of a little bit, a reasonable bit below that, sort of five percent below that 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 sort of longer term average that you'd look. And so, you know, on that basis, you'd look at the Australian market and go, well, yeah, it looks relatively cheap. Um, it's uh, you know, your thoughts on the growth outlook and, and things like that for Australia. But you know, at face value, you'd say uh, it's cheaper than what it usually is. Um, and so, yeah, so therefore, it's there's there's not a particular reason to avoid Australia versus versus international stocks. Um, I mean, just just quickly, um, what do you mean by the world? Which which market are you looking at in particular? Yeah, so so what I'm doing on this one is is limiting to to the largest stocks. So we've got the I'm, I'm using the MSCI World, which is about 1,600 stocks globally and um, across all developed markets. So I'm not uh, not throwing in um, the uh, the undeveloped markets. So places like China. Um, or India or, or Brazil, um, so it sort of avoids those companies um, and and just looks at developed markets. Um, and and I've done, I've done the same with Australia. You know, just the, the the stocks that are within that sort of world group, which is about sixty or seventy stocks, um, but pretty indicative of of um, you know that that makes up to, to give you an idea as well. It makes up about um, eighty to ninety percent of, of the total market in in most of these countries. So it's um. It's a smaller group of stocks, but they're so big that they make up most of most of the investment universe. Awesome, thanks for that. Yeah. So what what we're going to find though is is that it's not all as it seems. So I will get there, and and I'll come back to sort of looking as to, to why this is giving us a um, a particularly bum steer at the moment. This this metric, but um, let's get there via sort of looking at the world as well and sort of what's going on in terms of um, in terms of profitability and and earnings. So. The first thing I'll, I'll start by is just sort of um, jumping to a, uh, a valuation chart now, just sort of showing over a similar, sorry, just the last 10 years or so of the Australian market versus the, um, the S&P 500, so the US market. And I guess the key thing here is just sort of highlighting that we've, we've had this, um, this real bubble that we've been in the last little while where um, valuations have been significantly higher than what they usually have been. Uh, it's come back to more reasonable levels, but it's sort of, in terms of the US, it's probably sitting at its, at its averages for, for the recent time, and, and, and Australia looks a little bit below its averages. Um, uh, and again, let's jump into to why a lot of, you know, the, the, the spoiler is a lot of that is um, energy at the moment, um, but we'll, um, you know, we'll move into that as, as we go. So, um, and, and the other, sorry, the other thing I want to highlight with, with this one is that, um, so yes, Valuations are back to more normal levels. The question is always: um, there's there's two ways that you can um, you can see this ratio change. One is that the price changes, and the other one is that the the expected earnings changes. And that's the the key for us at the moment is is really looking at those expected earnings and seeing um, what changes we're going to see within that because that's where that's what can really drive this and and change the um, change what you're seeing. And and I've got a, a another chart which is sort of showing um what that what that means and i'm sort of calling it exuberance or, or or prescience and and so the idea is that there are times and these the early 2000s were were certainly um 
you know some of these some of these periods where what you saw was uh, the earnings. So, so the markets were relatively expensive. The U.S. market you'd pay sort of sixteen times to eighteen times for, so so above above the average. But we actually got all this earnings growth come through. That's the red line on this charts, showing that um, although you, although markets looked quite expensive, all this earnings growth meant that meant that um, they became, actually became much cheaper. And a similar thing happened around 2008. They weren't particularly expensive, but you know that certainly that that risen in terms of looking more expensive coming out of the financial crisis. But um, that sort of went away not because the price fell, but because the earnings were so strong that it, that it, that it made it up. And then a similar again in sort of 2017, we saw that same thing again, where um, yeah, that, that really really strong earnings growth was what was what brought back valuations to more to more normal levels. Um, that sort of hasn't been the case as much in in this latest one. It's um, it's certainly there's there's been an element of it. So so prices jumped to quite expensive levels, um, and then we saw um, earnings really come through uh, in the in the early stages coming out of the pandemic. But then you know over the last couple of months, um, we've, we've seen that earnings growth has sort of well over the last year that earnings growth has really died away, and that's where um, it's actually been all prices that's been bringing that down at the moment. Um, and so, if you if you look at that over a longer period of time, I've got this a scatter plot sort of just showing how how that sort of affected is that if you do have high price to earnings ratios, generally that means you do get earnings growth. So that so there's certainly a, an element of of, of prescience to it. Um, it doesn't mean you get price growth though. So so if you look at the the you know so you buy if you buy on a high multiple, so you're buying on 17 or 18 times, it is more likely that you will get Earnings growth come through, so so that left-hand chart we've got this positive sloping line for that. So there, there's a, a relationship between the the higher the multiple you pay for stocks and then what the earnings you get is. Um, but then if you look at that versus the price growth, um, you actually see it's a negative, slightly negative sloping line, which is basically saying, well, yeah, if you quite often people pay too much though, like so the, so the, the the earnings growth comes through, but it's a matter of people paying too much, and there's not a um, it's certainly not a a um, a relationship that you'd, you'd say there's a strong relationship on terms of price. So, uh, and and what what does that actually mean? Does that mean there's no relationship between price and valuation? I said no, absolutely not. There is a relationship between price and valuation. It's just that um, you, you can't tell just by looking at at valuation alone. You need to be looking at other factors that are going into it. And certainly, the the the, the issue we have um, is that analyst forecasts at turning points tend not to be um, very good. And the question we have is, is that, are we at a turning point right now? And, and so what do I, what do I mean by that? Um, when, I, when you go through these macro events where you've got these rapidly rising interest rates, is that you find that companies are, are often the last ones to start downgrading their forecasts. So the macro um, strategists and, and people looking at the, the, the larger market will be looking and saying, interest rates have risen, um, the, all the... Um, the the surveys about whether it's consumer confidence or whether it's about what um, the, the the activity that's going on in the in the economy like the 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 now the information that's coming out that's that's very very current um, is all starting to turn down and so therefore earnings are going to turn down as well whereas companies tend to build it from the ground up you know they go around and ask all their salespeople um, you know what have you got in the pipeline how much are you expecting to sell next quarter what's the you know and and then they add them all up and then they they you know, come up with a, come up with a number at the top, and those salespeople aren't sitting there thinking about, um, oh well, inf- you know, interest rates have just been risen at a record speed. Um, that's going to take 
you know, a few months to start flowing through. But once it starts flowing through and there's this effect of house prices and the wealth effect and all that, they're not thinking about that when they're thinking about their forecasts. They're just thinking about, well, you know, I did first, you know, first quarter, we did 10% more than the prior first quarter. Second quarter, we did 10% more than the, the prior second quarter. I've still got a, a, you know, a book of people, you know, it'll probably be 10% about again. And that's, that's sort of, they're not thinking about those macro um, expectations. And so if we're not going through a, um, a macro change, then, then analyst forecast is pretty good. And, and certainly in a relative sense, um, you know, companies versus other companies, it's still important. But um, yeah, I guess that the main point I've got is that, uh, you know, the, the earnings turning is, is the most important factor at, at, at this point in the cycle. Um, I'm going to break that out in one more way. So there's a, a way you could look at prices, which is to, to break prices into these these various factors. So so we're, we're talking about this forward earnings that I spoke about. So and and how every every um, every day we're using a little bit more 2023 and a little bit less 2022. So what that means is that if we go forward, if we look over a 12 month period, we could sort of disaggregate the change in price into four different factors. One is what was the growth that was expected between um, 2022, say, and 2023? So, like, because we're just going to have, we're going to have, go from having, um, well, at the start of the year, we'll have all of 2022 and and none of 2023, and you roll forward 12 months, and now we're looking completely at at, at 2023. So there's, so there's this growth that's already expected in earnings. Then there's a revisions, because analysts might have been expecting 12% growth, but by the time they got round to that year, now they're actually only expecting eight percent growth, or, 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 or vice versa, you know, up or down. So there's the growth that's expected. There's changes in that growth expectations, and then you get that earnings surprise. So um, there's 2022 came in surprised everyone and came in higher or lower than expected, and that sort of set your your starting point either higher or lower. And last of all, you have the change in valuation multiple, and that sort of um, that's the part about uh, why I like to look at this in a disaggregated way is because I want to see where is the growth coming from. So uh, in times when you've got um, in times when you get when you've when you're looking at strong markets that are growing strongly and it's all coming through from the price multiple, that's when you get a little bit concerned. Or, or you, or you start to work out. Or you, or you have to look and say, well, what's that telling me in terms of expectations? So I've got a chart that sort of decomposes um, these over the last few years, and you can see for the um, uh, the 2000. I'll start in the middle of it, the 2020 year. So you saw that you know earnings surprise in 2020 was actually this huge negative. So earnings fell by 30%. Um, the growth in earnings was was pretty good. Um, there were some slight negative revisions, and then we had this huge rise in multiple. So, it was, it, and this is from all from 30 June. So, so it's the idea that yes, earnings had fallen, but analysts were all um, quite, quite. Uh, well, sorry, from a from a valuation perspective, people were quite positive about what was going to happen over the over the following year and, and how the growth would push through. And so, um, and so the multiple went up, and then the next year we actually did see that growth come through. So we saw that 27 percent increase in in terms of revisions, so that's when I say revisions, that's earnings that are revised upwards. They thought it was going to be a whatever ten percent growth, and it ended up being a thirty-seven percent growth. Um, and then you get, you know, um, oh sorry, 
there's growth. And then the, so the revision, revisions was up 12%, sorry. Um, and, and you had that huge growth, 27% growth from that, from that year, sort of recovery from the, from the pandemic. Um, the latest year, uh, we've actually, you know, there's been a little bit of earnings surprise. Um, we've got decent growth sort of built into that market. Um, revisions have actually been not too bad. They've been going up. But it's all been that multiple coming off. So um, you know that sort of may or may not give you um, uh, your cause for hope, depending upon if you're if you're bullish on on this and you, and you and you think the the earnings um, are stable and the earnings are going to hold as where they are. Then this is a type of chart that would say, yeah, we should be getting out and buying now. If you're worried that the earnings are going to keep growing, falling, then um, yeah, then you might think, well. Okay, it's, it's obviously better than where we were, but um, you know you might want to leave it a little bit before you actually jump in and, and do that. And so the the next chart I've just got, which sort of breaks out that into um, uh, it's exactly the same chart, but just done, just broken out separately in terms of saying, well, what what's the cumulative effect of this forecast growths versus the earnings surprise and the change in forecasts? And um, I guess the point I'm making with this one is that. The, the the leftmost one that forecast growth that's where most of the re, uh, most of the um, the positive return is coming from, uh, and then you've got this earnings surprise that that happens that sort of takes away most of that. So so the way I'd sort of pitch it is, um, you know, a lot of the time you're talking about uh, analysts start with sort of a 15 percent earnings growth, and then um, sur earnings surprises that they're, they're 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 too positive, and then earnings surprises sort of pull that back to a, to a more normal level. Um, but then you get some revisions to forecast it, and and, um, and that sort of leaves you leaves you in a positive place. And and the net effect of those changes in P multiple should roughly balance out. So and as as we saw on those uh, over time over the longer time. And so as we saw on those ones, we had that massive rise in 2019 in, in the P multiple, and then we sort of got it all back, taking it all back in, in the most recent year. Okay, so that's that's valuations. Sort of a, as a broad picture about how we're looking at them. Um, the next part then is uh, looking at the distributions of those valuations, and I've got a chart up here which is sort of showing um, the twelve-month forward PE, and uh, there's a grey sort of shaded section in the middle, which is the uh, between the twenty-fifth and seventy-fifth percentiles. So basically, fifty percent of all stocks sort of sit between that 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 range. Um, the blue lines your median PE, and then the two ex the two black lines are the the most expensive ten percent of stocks and the least expensive ten percent of stocks. And it's actually really interesting what's going on at the moment is because so we so we've obviously been through this big bubble part. You can see where that that black line um, you know went from you know uh, call it thirty to thirty five times. This is the most expensive stocks in the market went from thirty to thirty five times up to sort of seventy see seventy and eighty times. Um, and then it, it has fallen back, but it hasn't fallen all the way. Like it's sort of back to that, you know, now it's in that 30, now it's in the 40 to 45 range, um, which is about 20% above its, its longer term sort of median number in terms of, um, in terms of what you're expecting. So expensive stocks, while they've come back, they're still, um, they're still quite expensive. At the 75th percentile, um, it's, it's a similar story, but not quite as extreme, but they're sort of still um, 7% above where, they, where they, they trade over the longer term. The median stock is pretty close to, 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 to its longer term average. And then the cheaper stocks are actually cheaper than they usually are. So um, yeah, it's, it, it's a, I guess what I'm saying in the end is it's, it's a wider distribution than what you usually get. 
the expensive stocks are more expensive than they usually are. The cheaper stocks are more cheaper than they, they usually are. Um, and a lot of that uh, that cheapness is the um, uh, is the sectors that are like the, the energy sectors and the resources sectors, but not all of it. There are other sectors in there that that are um, uh, you know some, some of the other that that are affecting this on the, on the downside as well. Um, and they might skip Sam Ford. There's a um, there's two charts. Just skip forward to the, the sort of two charts side by side that are showing um, effectively the same thing. That uh, yeah, just those two numbers. Yeah, so you can see them. Just that. Just those two lines broken out. The cheapest twenty fifth. 25% of stocks and the most expensive 20, uh, 25% of stocks fits into those. Okay, so that's that sort of gives us an idea that um, what's going on in terms of the in terms of that those distributions. So you know there is there is potential there, um, and, and now it's a matter of saying okay, well, let's take the next step and let's dig into saying well which which are the sectors that are cheaper than what they usually are, um, and I've got. I've broken that out into sort of just some just some really broad sort of um, six sort of high-level sectors that I sort of call technology, um, which is uh, anyone who's sort of producing newer, um, whether technology services or or um, or you know, health technology and things like that. Um, resources, which is your um, uh, energy and your mining sectors. Consumer, which is the anyone who's sort of face-to-face -face with consumers in terms of um, you know, retail stores or producing um, sort of non-durable goods uh, or producing goods, sorry. Uh, your finance side, which is your banks and insurers, manufacturing and services. So, so the finance side, so you can see on this one that the two, two lines right at the bottom, resources and finance, are basically always cheaper than the, the rest of the market. And sorry, what I'm doing here is again dividing dividing this by the world, so that if if you're sitting on one, then you you're basically the same as the world. So so finance is cheaper than the world, but it's always cheaper than the world. Um, resources are cheaper than the world, but they're usually cheaper than the world, and and they're, and they're quite volatile. And the issue with the resources is um, twelve month forward PEs probably aren't the best way to look at these stocks because uh, the prices are volatile. You do go from uh, $100 oil, or so over the last few years, we've gone from negative oil to, to you know, $120 oil and, and back and, and, and up and down. And so, um, you know, when when the oil price is negative, nobody's sitting in there and, and looking at the company saying, this company will never have a business ever again. You know, it's all negative. They're looking at it saying, no, no, the longer term price for oil is is whatever. Why? And and the current price will, you know, eventually you'll you'll, you'll come back to that longer term. And the same happens on the upside when, when the prices hit extremely high levels, um, people are then sort of bringing them back. So the stocks look like they're cheap, um, but they're not as cheap as what they look. And then in other times, they look like they're expensive, but they're not as expensive as, as, as what you might think. Um, and so you can see, like within this, the technology sector, it got very expensive. It's still quite expensive. It's not as, not as cheap as, um, as it usually gets to. And... Um, you know, consumer sector is is roughly about where it's always been, and and the services is is sort of about the same as well. So you know, the story, I guess, is is that manufacturing looks a little bit cheap relative to where it usually is, um, uh, and I would argue that that's because there's been this boom in terms of goods, um, and and so manufacturers have have been producing more than what you'd expect for the last little while. And so um, you'd um, 
yeah, so so because they're expect, I mean, uh, producing more than what you'd expect, what you'll find is that the um, uh, they'll look like they're, they're people will be looking at them and, and assuming that they're going to come back in terms of the cost. Resources and, and banks really cheap. Uh, manufacturing a little bit cheap. Uh, technology a little bit expensive, and and uh, the rest of the sector is about 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 normal. Is sort of like the is is a rough guide. Um, so then, then this, then I thought, well, let's have a look then how that fits, and, and I've broken it differently again, just to sort of keep showing, I guess, different looks at these. Is that um, now I'm using the gig sectors and just sort of looking at different regions of the world, and the the key thing um, I you, you know I want to highlight with this graph is actually looking at this Australia New Zealand column that sort of flows through it, um, because if you look at this Australia New Zealand column. Uh, and, and you know, excluding real estate, um, where the US is, is a lot more expensive, but um, uh, and, and then non uh, Eurozone Europe is, is more expensive than Australia. Um, so Australia is sort of third most expensive on real estate, but pretty much every other sector, um, they're either at the top or, 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 or you know, first, second, or third in that. And so, you know, as you, as you dig sector by sector, you can really see that um, the Australian market. Looks more expensive, um, and and that's sort of that's at odds to that first chart I had, which was where, um, uh, and I've got that coming up next, which is saying that you know the the Australia versus the world ends up being you know below av not only below average but below its its own average, but also well below the sort of um, the, the world market sort of you know almost ten percent cheaper than the world market, and and that that's that's sort of very much at odds at what you see in that. You know the, the prior one, where we're saying as you go through every sector, every sector looks more expensive, and the reason why is because Australia has a huge weighting to those two sectors I spoke about earlier: the resources sector and the financial sector. So both of those sectors always trade on a on a discount to the market, and the reason why is because banks are these hugely leveraged um, uh, assets that that um, have lots of risk assessed to them, and so. The uh, they tend to trade on on lower multiples because of the, because of the the amount of leverage within them, um, and then secondly, resources um, have this uh, you know, the the price earnings ratio as I said isn't isn't as isn't as important as because it's a it's a very short term look at at these assets which have these very volatile prices, and so um, yeah, the price that people are willing to pay for resources. You know, doesn't always equate to its twelve-month forward, and and even in, on a longer term, um, people will tend to pay less for those stocks because they are very volatile. Um, and so that and that's the reason why you, you we're seeing what we're seeing. So so the next chart, which is I guess the the um, so the, the 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 more important one or the most important one here, is basically saying, okay, let's let's have a look then. Let's take Australia and exclude banks and resources, and then look at that relative to the world, excluding banks and resources as well. Now, in this case, we see that it comes out to about 1.06 in terms of the long-term average. So, about so the Australian market is usually about six percent more expensive than the world market. Um, at the moment, it's it's closer to 125 percent more expensive than the world market. So, we're basically I've got a, a line in there showing that, that the 90th percentile. So, you know, it's in the anything above that line is in the is in the top 10 percent of um, of how expensive Australia's got, and you can see that. It is very expensive relative to, um, uh, yeah, it's well above that line. It's sort of, I don't know, maybe it's in the 97th or 98th percentile of, of where it's traded throughout history. Um, 
Australia looks expensive relative to the rest of the world on, on that basis. And then saying, okay, well, I've excluded some things, so let's let's just make sure that um, uh, you know, what the story I was telling you adds up. And so then I've got another one which is showing you Australian banks versus world banks. And again, on this case, um, yeah, the Aussie banks are, um, well, they're 50% more expensive than world banks. Um, and it's the same story. They're just way off that scale in terms of what you'd, what you'd expect, well above the 90th percentile of where they've traded and, and, and more expensive than, that, than, they, than they usually are. Um, and then finally, the um, Aussie resources versus world resources is about, it's, it's, it's slightly above average, but it's nothing, it's nothing special, sort of. Um, so, yeah, so we've got those, those three different categories. Um, <clears throat> yeah, my first thought was, um, in terms of seeing that that chart with the the Aussie banks, X banks, and resources, was look maybe there's a few other stocks that are that are um, that are causing this to happen. So you know, CSL is a very big stock, especially once you exclude banks and resources. You know, CSL makes up this huge proportion of the Australian market. Maybe that's doing it. Doesn't really make that much difference if you don't knock that out. Um, it, it is very much if you go through sector by sector, Australia has got a lot of expensive stocks. Um, I've thrown up a couple of the ones. I was actually, sorry, ran out of time as well. I didn't mean to do more of these, but I've got I've thrown up a couple of these lines just to sort of show you, you know, Telstra's trading on almost 23 times earnings. Um, and and the top 10 other stocks in the in the in the globe, um, you know, it's number two in terms of being most expensive. Most of the other ones are trading at roughly half of what what Telstra's trading at. Um if you look at Cochlear and CSL and compare it to a whole bunch of the other uh, major healthcare stocks. Similar type of story. Um, you go into um, you know, stocks like Brambles or Transurban, or you know, you tick your boxes. You go through. Um, you can find for most of the stocks, um, they'll be trading at, at at in the in the upper range of where you'd see these stocks when you when you compare them to to stocks around the world. So, yeah. So that, so the net effect is, you know, the disturbing truth about the Australian market is, um, yeah, it looks cheap at face value if you just divide everything through. But if you actually can start comparing like with like. Um, it does not look cheap at the moment, and and that looks at quite extreme levels actually as well. Not just the sort of um, you know, yeah, it's a little bit. Uh, it's it's expensive as it's been for the last um, uh, you know, the last year or two as as COVID's hit, but it's actually getting to 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 very ex, you know extreme levels of of um, uh, which you you usually expect that there's either been a structural change. You know, now Australia is a much higher growth. Than, than everywhere else, and it's, it's going to continue to trade, trade at these these lofty multiples, or you will get a snapback. And um, you know, I can't think of a reason for for a um, for for a structural change. And I do think there's a uh, you know, there's a lot of risk in terms of Australian households being um, having way more uh, variable loans than other than other countries, and seeing uh, and way more debt as well and then we've seen the uh the interest rate rises that have come through another one again this week um that's just going to be um smashing into consumer demand so damien um a couple of questions so uh the uh, the aussie market looks cheap compared to the world market uh, although the aussie banks look expensive to world banks so how how does that um, how does that fit in? What's going on with the world market to to still make the Aussie market look cheap, although our yep. banks are, are really expensive? Yeah. So so if you add the, if you add the finance and resources together, um, in in the world, then you get sort of about um, 15, 16 percent of the world is is 
you know, somewhere in financial resources. In Australia, we're talking well over 50%. So basically what it is is Australia has, you know, if you do your, when you do your average, Australia's got um, you know, more than 50% in these, in these sectors that always trade cheap. Um, and then the world's got, um, the world's only got 15% in that. So when you, when you multiply it out, it, um, yeah, I, know, I can, I can provide the math for anyone who's struggling with the concept. Yeah. Maybe I might put it up in a slide for just to sort of show, show the average levels and, and how you get there. Yeah, I, I um, think, I think that makes sense. Um, and one other question, uh, you know, in Australia, it's quite unique in terms of the amount of superannuation, uh, that, that pours into the Aussie market. You know, a lot of the funds have quite a high allocation uh, to Australian stocks. And, you know, it, the market might seem expensive uh, compared to, you know, maybe a decade ago. But, you know, do you think that's a reflection of all these funds that are, that are just pouring into the market all the time? Uh, yeah, well, and the other one's franking credits as well, is that um, Aussie investors love their franking credits. Um, and so... Uh, yeah, there's an argument that they they overinvest in Australia from in in search of the franking credits, uh, and and potentially that's true at at the margin. Um, both of those may be true. I think in terms of the the super funds, there's certainly a lot more super funds investing offshore than what they used to. So um, if you look at the asset allocation ranges from 10, 15 years ago of super funds and compared it to today, um, almost all of them have have increased their exposure to to international stocks. Um, uh, international stocks have become much easier to trade, much cheaper to trade. So, um, and so the retail amount of you know, the amount held in retail accounts is is higher than what it used to be. So, um, yes. Yeah, so, so from that perspective, I think the if you look over the last ten years, say of those some of those charts I had up there of saying, um, uh, I, I think they're probably more, a little bit more indicative of 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 of, of where it would trade. Uh, and I think that. You know, even if you look at the over that time period, uh, they still look you know a lot more expensive than what they usually do. So, 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 so let's say the banks, for example. Um, if you just looked over the last ten years, the banks probably trade on about twenty five percent more expensive than than, than their global peers. Um, now they're over fifty percent. So it's um yeah it's sort of it, it's it's another it's another leg up. And if you looked at say the the uh, banks. You know, Australia versus X banks and resources. You look over the last ten years, and and it probably comes out to be about uh, Australian stocks probably trade about ten percent more expensive than their global peers. Um, now we're we're trading twenty five percent more expensive than our global peers. So um, even if there's a there's you know even if there is a grain of truth to those, um, it's it's certainly more extreme now than it's been um, you know any time over the last sort of twenty twenty five years. Okay, nice one. Thanks for that. That's interesting. Um, the final thing I just wanted to jump in was uh, reporting season. So uh, now this is all pretty, pretty, um, pretty current because uh, you know there's like a hundred and something odd stocks reporting today um, uh, in the US. So you know there's still a lot of things moving and still trying to you know, take. So take the, these numbers with a little bit of a grain of salt because um, you know I haven't had time to check into to to all of them to make sure they're all sort of adding up the right way. But um, if you look at the reporting season so far, it's been been all right. Um, I, I tend to look. Important to notice with with reporting seasons is is you have this idea of uh, earnings beats they call it. So they come in and, and they say, yeah, you know, eighty percent of stocks are beating what their targets were, beating what their forecasts were, and stuff like that. And it always sounds really impressive. Um, the issue is it's a um, it's usually 
a lot of that's the case of people lower the bar and then manage to step over this nice low bar. And so to give you an example, um, a company with a, a 30th June balance date, um, you get pretty close to the to 30th of June. The management have their own internal figures. They'll be looking at their numbers and they'll be going, okay, we told the, we told the market we're going to earn a dollar. Um, actually, we're only going to earn about 90 cents. So they'll come back to the market and say, um, they'll, they'll put a press release out because they've got to keep everyone up to date and say, okay, we we told you we're going to earn a dollar. Um, we think it's probably going to be closer to, you know, somewhere in the 90 to 95 cent range. Um, you know, we're still doing our accounts and we'll let you know once it's all done. And so now analysts all downgrade their forecasts. So so from a dollar back to whatever, 92 cents, um, they, they downgrade their forecasts. A month later, um, the company actually comes out with, with its result and it comes in with a, a, a 93 cent result, you know? And, and that's a beat because everyone had 92 cents in their model, but you know, the company comes in with the 93, 93 cents. And the, um, so, so what we try to do is, first of all, we look versus a month ago. We say, well, let's, let's have a look a month prior to the, the, the results first and just see what's happened in terms of the, the surprise side. Um, and then secondly, we look at earnings forecasts because the other thing is you know, companies do a lot of adjustments to their numbers. And, and sometimes the beat is because um, they've got a profit Sorry, they got a profit on the sale of an asset or something like that that you weren't expecting. It's not a, it's not a recurring number, or and sometimes that, and often that happens on the loss side as well. And so uh, a better indication is saying, well, what happens to forecasts? Do forecasts go up or down? And and, and do um, the 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 2022 number forecast and then then the 2023 forecast? What do they do? And on that basis, um, I've got a chart up or a table. Sorry, just showing some of these. So. Um, in terms of the surprise, yeah, US and, and Europe are both coming in about 7% above expectations. This is just the, the quarterly surprise. Um, sorry, I've tagged that first quarter. It's actually second quarter. Um, uh, Asia's a little bit behind at the moment. Uh, there's, in terms of the 12-month forward forecasts have, have been increasing, but if we dig into the actual 2022 forecasts, um, you know, the, the median stock hasn't been changing. And um, if we're looking at 2023, um, there's the median stock has had a slight downgrade in terms of um, uh, in terms of forecast so far. So so net net effect is actually that's not a bad reporting season so, so far. Um, if you dig again into the into the next level, um, I've got another chart which is showing the same thing but broken up by uh, by the gig sector that it's in, um, and you can see that almost all the positive stuff is coming from energy. So energy's roaring. Um, in terms of forward forecasts, um, and then downgrades are more likely in other sectors. So materials sector, for example, is is, is one in particular, and that covers um, both building materials and mining. Um, is, 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 is on average seeing downgrades. Uh, we're seeing some downgrades to financials. Um, and then the, of the extreme side, so, so again, this is a percentile range where I'm saying the top of it is the worst companies, the, the 10% of the worst companies, and, and, the, and the other ends, the 10% best companies. Um, the other thing you'll notice is the, the upgrades tend to be quite small upgrades, whereas the downgrades have been quite large downgrades. So, you know, um, for example, you know, at the 75th percentile level, um, most of the stocks, if they have upgraded, it's been between zero and 1%. Whereas if they've down at the 25th percentile level, the downgrades have been somewhere between four and, um, you know, four and 8% in terms of the downgrades. So, yeah, so I guess the, the point is, um, Yes, the overall report season's been all right, but actually it's most of that's been concentrated in terms of the energy sector. We are starting to see some signs of weakness in some of these other sectors. And um, uh, yeah, that's, I guess, um, 
we think that sort of fits with our, with our narrative. Um, we'd be expecting to see a little bit of weakness at the moment um, and uh, in terms of these earnings figures. And then over the next three to six months, um, if we're right, that, that uh, you know, earnings are turning and we're going to see some further downside, that's when we're going to start seeing it. So, so we're expecting initial indications now and then the next three to six months um, really to start to see the, these downgrades start to take hold. And so, yeah, so it's sort of, in, in my mind, it fits with our narrative of, of um, things don't look that uh, that positive in terms of earning, the earnings side um, and the valuations are, are, are about average. Um, but that still means that, you know, when if, it, if, if we're right, then earning, and earnings fall, say, 10, 15, 20%, then um, you, you're likely to see some of that multiple come off as well. And that's where you can see, you know, earnings fall 10%, multiples fall 10% as well, and, and you end up with a 20% decline in, in stock markets pretty quickly. Um, as a, as you know, your risk cases. Okay, um, that's that's great, Damo. We've we've had a couple of questions come through. Um, mm. So uh, we've we've got one question here. I think you've you've answered the first half of the question. It's a two part question. Uh, uh, he's asking what the quickest and, and most reliable way to value an ASX company. I think you've said forward price to earnings ratio. You, do you want to elaborate on that at all? Yeah, I will. Look, it, it does depend. Resources companies, banks, um, that's not necessarily the right way to look at it. Um, actually, more resources companies, it's not, you know, I, I'd be I'd be more wary about valuing it on, on that basis. Uh, you can do discounted cash flows. So they're, they're sort of your, um, the, the most complicated tool that, that most people will pull out. Uh, the, the real issue with discounted cash flows, and I've got some posts up um, over time that sort of show, where I've shown these types of things is, it, there's so many little things you can do to 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 um, uh, discounted cash flows to make the numbers look better or worse. I've got an example up on the website where I basically change everything in the decimal place behind that you can see. So, for example, the you know the beta that I'm using, I go okay, well, it's a beta of 1.1 for both of them, but one of them I use you know 1.05 and the other one I use 1.14, and then I look at the growth rate and they're both growing at you know five percent, but one of them's growing at you know, 5.4%, the other one's going at 4.5%. And, and, and just going through those ones, and you can basically double or, or halve valuations by by changing things. If you just, because you've got a lot of little variables, and you just change everything this tiny little bit, and the valuation looks fantastic. And then you change everything a tiny little bit down, and, and, it, and, it, looks, and it looks terrible. So discounted cash flows uh, are great if you are using them yourself and you think you're being honest. Um, if you're looking at somebody else's discounted cash flow, I'd be very... Um, you know, you want to be really careful. You're looking through each and every assumption, and and because you know, every, if every single assumption is just that little bit more positive, um, it can make an extreme difference to it. Um, and so then, uh, you know, then you sort of have to look through. Uh, you know, you've you've asked a question within that question is asking how to how to value small cap companies um, on only potential earnings. Look, you really do need to look at, look at the market size and what your expectations are, and and um, uh, handicap them. So you can sort of look along the line and say, yeah, look, I think these guys could, they've got this great product, they could get to a 2% market share and that would, you know, earn this much revenue and on this much margins and and that would put them on a, you know, if we put them on a market multiple at that point, you know, here's how much the company would be worth. But then you need to sort of discount that and say, well, what's what are the odds to actually make that? Okay, you know, is that a 10% chance? Is it 20% chance? And so a lot of that is just sort of that, that handicapping of, of different positions within those. Um, and and the other one I haven't really mentioned cash flows. Um, we spend a lot of time on cash flows um, ourselves. You know, I've shown earnings because at least earnings um, 
you can look at my numbers. I've shown up here and look at other people's own numbers that you might see from other brokers or, or other sources, and and they'll match. Whereas um, because I, you know, we use our own internal measures of, of what we think cash flows are, um, you can see some differences in terms of those. But that the cash flows, if you get them right, um, give you a much better indication of what's going on um, for, for companies wherever you can get to. Excellent. Thanks for that, Damo. Uh, so this is our last call for any final viewer questions um, before we get into investment implications. Uh, so just drop them in the chat below and we can answer them after this segment. Uh, so now we have our viewer question of the week. Uh, so this is for viewers to have some discussion in the comments section over the coming days. Uh, so the question for this week is, will you still buy Aussie stocks at these valuations? Uh, so, like I said, feel free to post your thoughts, engage with us and some of the other viewers over the coming days. Um, so, yeah, now we'll jump into the investment implications. Yeah, so um, so we're seeing invert these inverted yield curves um, signaling recession ahead. Um, we think that's uh, we think that is a genuine sign, and, and that there is genuine risk that central banks have moved um, way too far too fast. Uh, we've seen Australian mortgage rates are up now close to 40% in terms of the amount of um, your, your payment that you had before, um, you had a year ago versus the payment that you'll, you'll have today. Um, we think that's a for, for you know, the second most indebted country in the world, that's a huge deal. Um, and that's not just in Australia, there are, it does affect other countries as well, but um, uh, Australia is actually sort of, is, is more at risk due to, due to the nature of the debt market and the nature of the mortgage market. So. You know, our take is that stocks are still expensive, um, and I probably probably shouldn't have left that word "very" in there. They're certainly they're expensive given the declining earnings prospects. Um, they're probably no longer very expensive. This was probably a uh, you know from a, a few months ago. Uh, uh, we probably haven't haven't uh, haven't eased that word out yet. Um, in terms of the uh, the what's happening in terms of the Fed, and so there's a question as well in terms of that. You know, that last night they they're signalling they're going to be I guess a bit more watchful and, and maybe not as 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 keen to keep keep um keep raising, but uh, what it has done though is it meant they're not there to back out back up markets at the moment and particularly markets that are falling the way they're falling at the moment. Um, you know, my take is that uh, you know the Fed and the Australian um, Central Bank have, have sort of become a, a little bit bubble managers because they're relying on asset prices to do a lot of their work for them, and so and we've seen in the past you know when earnings um, or uh, when markets have fallen quite sharply, um, we've seen that the uh, the Fed stepped in and, and, and given support or, or the Aussie banks have sort of stepped in to support the market. That's not happening at the moment. That's actually the opposite. Inflation means that they can't step in. And, um, you know, if we saw a 30% fall in, in the um, in the S&P tomorrow, though, yeah, I'd expect the Fed would, would turn around and, and change its view and, and start to start to help out a little bit. Um, but if if you see sort of this gradual grind down of you know it falls thirty percent over over a year or two year period, then um, you know the Fed's less like much less likely to come in and help on a, on a gradual grind downward rather than this this sharp um, you know crisis type type event. And that's I think that's what we've seen over the last six months is that you know U.S. markets have come off twenty percent. If it had to come off twenty percent in one hit, the Fed would have thought about what it's doing a bit more. Whereas that grind downward. Sort of left them, and and the you know the inflation that's happening, um, and so you, we probably do need a commodities bust in in order to um, see the Fed sort of uh, ease up. 
we are expecting the Aussie dollar to keep falling. So we saw last night um, and, and you know, the Aussie, or yesterday, the Aussie dollar came off again. Um, that's, you know, the, the, the US dollar rising and, and the higher interest rates in the US and, and a more aggressive central bank is causing other problems. And um, we do expect stocks to um, you know, continue to capitulate. And, and you know, while we're in a bit of a bounce at the moment, um, we do expect that will, um, as earnings um, you know, start to start to see the effects, that will that will come off. So yeah, so might leave it at that, Sam. Unless there's any other questions. Yeah, we've got a, got a couple of questions that have come through. So uh, one from John. He's he's asking: Has the recent uh, Powell uh, Jerome Powell commentary signal chain? A change in the pace of rate increases and the strength of the US dollar versus the Aussie dollar? Uh, so on the first part, yes, I think in terms of change of pace, it's certainly a, a um, it's good to see there is you know, a little bit more open to, to changes. And that's that's why we saw you know, the US market rally last night. Um, uh, so that's 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 on the positive side. Um, the strength of the Aussie dollar versus the US dollar the question about will the Australian is the Australian market sort of following the US market and and, and sorry it's the Australian central bank following the US central bank and we largely think it is and in that case um, so we would expect that if if the US central bank slows that the the Aussie central bank will also slow in terms of its um, in terms of what it what it's doing so um, so yeah I think at, at the margin I think we're certainly right we're not uh, we're not as positive on on, we're, not, we're not as convinced that the Aussie dollar is is falling as far as what what we might have thought, you know, the the day before. But um, that's it's you know that's only very much at the margin, and and the the, the general trend of, of of a strong US dollar is um, is still you know you know uh, very much what we're, we're investing for. Okay, uh, great. And we've had another one come through from Cam. Uh, so he's asking. Uh, do you still think the time's right to lean into bonds instead of equities? Absolutely. Yep. So, um, you know, if we're right, we're going to keep seeing, uh, and you're seeing, you know, said doubt starting to creep into the, the mind of central banks. Um, we think that doubt's going to keep growing and eventually that'll come into them pausing sooner than what they thought. And, and if we're right on the earnings side, then they'll see them reversing. And so that's all positive for, for bonds. Um, and the idea is, yeah, you, you, you're buying your bonds, taking advantage of the falling um, falling yields. Um, so falling bond yields means rising bond prices. And then um, with the idea to switch back into stocks at some stage. So, um, yeah, that's the that's the plan. Um, and we'll, uh, we'll see how it, how it plays out. Excellent. Um, so we've we've had a few comments coming through, uh, you know, usual comments. Thanking, thanking you, Damien, for the uh, for the content. Um, and that almost wraps us up. So I want to thank you again, Damo. Um, thanks for thanks for sharing your insights. Thanks, Sam. Uh, great. So uh, we do welcome your feedback on this pod podcast, especially in regards to future topics. Um, so if you do have any ideas, please drop it in the comment section below or send us an email at contact at ukillswealth.com. Just a reminder, this is general advice and does not take into account your personal situation. If you do want to discuss your personal financial situation, please go to our website at newkillswealth.com forward slash contact and you can book a call with me or one of the team. Uh, don't forget to like the video now. And uh, uh, if, you get, if you got some value out of today's episode, we'd really appreciate it if you please uh, can share it with them. 
And also, if you'd like to see more of our previous episodes and content, head over to nucleuswealth.com forward slash content. And to stay up to date with us, uh, you can follow us on all major social media. So for myself, Damien, and the rest of the team at Nucleus Wealth, thanks for watching, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.